My name is Joe. If you don't know me, I'm one of the, the elders here. Um, I think, uh, too, as we get into Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be uh, verses 10 through 23. But uh, as we, we get in, I, I think that that um, is just the, the thought of that song, right? That, um, that uh, there are battles that we are fighting, right? There are battles that we are engaged in. Um, and we, like, really are engaged in them. And, and, but sometimes uh, that can feel like all that's going on, that, that we're alone in the battle, that we're uh, by ourselves. But um, the, the truth of that song, right, is that um, we are never alone. Um, we are never without our God uh, fighting on our behalf and um, winning the war for us. Um, and so we, we're, we're going to get into specific things, and, and we are going to uh, be talking primarily about how we participate in that fight today. Um, but as we do that, let's never forget um, what God does for us. Um, so, um, so, yeah, so last week we, we opened up Ephesians 6. Uh, it's a uh, um, we, we talked about how we are locked in this, this fight. Um, we, we were in 10 through 12, and we had four questions that sort of controlled our time together. We asked, who are we? Um, or, sorry, where are we? I did this last week, too. Where are we? Who are we? Who do we face? And then, so what? Uh, we answered those questions this way. We said, we are on a battlefield. Where are we? We're on a battlefield. And we saw that because uh, there is... Uh, a command for us to be strong. You need strength to fight. Uh, we're given equipment to fight. We're given armor. Um, and then we're, the conflict that we're in is called a wrestle. It's, it's called a mano-a-mano battle where you're trying to, to pin your opponent down with your hand on their throat. And so where fighting like that happens, you have warfare. You have a battlefield. Uh, then, then we ask, like if, so if we're on a battlefield, are we, um, are we just... Uh, innocent bystanders? And we answered that by saying, no, we are not innocent bystanders. We are, in fact, soldiers. Soldiers fight battles. Soldiers wear armor. And Christians are referred to as soldiers all over the New Testament. So we are soldiers. And we asked, who do we face? And, and, and we saw uh, in those verses that we do not face flesh and blood, right? So if you um, are in a situation where you feel uh, that you are... Um, being attacked, where you are being assaulted, where you are being oppressed. It's probably a human being that is part of that oppression, part of that assault, part of that attack against who you are as a person. Um, But ultimately, your enemy is not a human being. Ultimately, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but is instead against spiritual forces. It's instead against something that's maybe above that person. Uh, They are um, if, if it's a non-Christian, right, they are trapped in a system of darkness. They are enslaved to the kingdom of darkness. They are willing participants, but they are still slaves. And their master, their overseer, their, their person who is ruler there is Satan and his demons. And that is our ultimate enemy, Satan. But there's good news in that. We, we looked at this last week, that, that Satan's kingdom is not one that we ultimately defeat, but that has been ultimately defeated by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the uncreated one, 
the incomprehensible one, the eternal one, the almighty one. Jesus Christ, who is God and yet fully human. Jesus Christ, who is God of the substance of the Father. Begotten before the world and made of the substance of his mother, born in the world. This is Jesus. Jesus is perfect God and perfect man. He is of a reasonable soul and human flesh subsisting. These are the words of the Athanasian's creed. He is equal to the Father as touching his Godhead, but inferior to the Father as touching his manhood. This is Jesus. Jesus is who, he who, although he is God and man, yet he is not two, but one Christ. Jesus is one who um, is not by conversion of the Godhead into flesh, but by taking of the manhood into God. Jesus is one altogether, not by the confusion of substances, but by unity of persons. Jesus is a single person. For Jesus has a reasonable soul and flesh in one man, so God and man is one Christ. Jesus suffered for our salvation. He descended into hell. He rose again the third day from the dead. Jesus ascended into heaven, and he sits on the right hand of the Father God Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. This is the Jesus who defeated Satan. And so then we ask, what? so what, right? So, so what? If, if we are on a battlefield and we're soldiers um, and, and we're, we're locked in this battle and we face this, this power of, of darkness, so what? Uh, we, we answer that by, by ending where we just ended, that Jesus is victorious, that Jesus ultimately defeated Satan and his kingdom. Uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church. The embassy of God's kingdom is here on earth, and it's filled with people just like you and me, recreated image bearers. And this all happened because the God-man Jesus, who in Hebrew's name is Joshua, Joshua defeated Satan's sin and death by dying on a cross, rising from the dead after three days, and ascending to the Father's right hand, where he has already begun to inaugurate his rule and reign for all of eternity in the glorious millennium described in the book of Revelation. That is what, what we, we decided was our first so that Jesus is the stronger one from Luke 11. He's a, he's a dude who has more power, and he goes into the temple grounds of Satan, and he beats him up, and he plunders all of, all of his possessions and establishes his own kingdom there. As Ephesians 1.21 says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. So Jesus is victorious. That was our first so what? Our second so what was the sobering recognition that the work Jesus begun and inaugurated in his first coming is work that needs to continue to be done today. There is ground left to be taken in this world. We, we looked at, at, at this picture. We used Joshua, right? Joshua goes into the land. He, he, he uh, commits violence against the inhabitants there. He, he takes the land from them. And in the same way, Jesus does the same thing with his ministry here on the earth. He goes into the land. He, he finds people who are, who are enslaved to the kingdom of darkness, and he sets them free. 
He overpowers uh, that kingdom. He tears it down. He throws it away. And he brings healing. He brings grace. He brings forgiveness. He brings love. He brings community to places that did not have them. And that is work that still needs to be done today, right? There are still places where the truth of, of what Jesus has done and the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of his power and his might and his law, his holy, beautiful, glorious law have not yet penetrated in our lives, in our own lives and in our own families and in our own places of work and in our own city, in our own country, in our own world, there are places where this message, where this truth, where this light has yet to reach. And it's our aim, it is our battle, it is our fight to take it to those places. And so now, let's turn our attention today to 13 through the end of the chapter, where we're going to examine in more detail how we go about taking back this ground. How we go about doing violence to the kingdom of darkness. And we look at the armor of God Because the armor of God tells us how, as we fight those battles, as as we come to evil days, where there is still evil that we are encountering in this world, how, having done all, do we stand firm? Which is Ephesians 6, 14. So if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word, uh, we'll start in verse 10 and read to the end of the chapter. Uh, It says, finally... Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the, day, in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication so that Uh, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, So uh, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat and let's pray. So God, as as we examine your word today, uh, we pray that it would shape our view of the world that it would um, come into us and do the work that you have prescribed for it to do. That you would take uh, what is yours and give it to us who are, who are desperate and needy and poor. 
Uh, Lord, we are uh, dependent upon you for everything. And so, God, we believe you give good, good gifts. So, Lord, use this time to give us more, we pray. Amen. So there, there are six pieces of armor here described, and so we're going to look at each of them in turn. Um, I'm not going to be able to say everything that could possibly be said about each piece of armor, um, but I'm trying to sort of... Uh, to, to, to keep sort of a, a stream through all the pieces that uh, tries to tie them all together. So, but before we, we do that, just I need to make two quick little pre-points about the armor of God. The, the first is that we don't want to push analogies too far, right? Don't push analogies too far. Um, so uh, what I mean here is that um, analogies are meant to convey meaning, right? That's the whole reason that they exist. They're supposed to take something that's familiar with you, uh, to you and expl- help explain something less familiar. That's how analogies work. And, and so I'm not saying that we shouldn't explore analogies. I'm just wanting us to hold back from pushing them too far. This is uh, what pushing them too far would mean. So um, you take an analogy, uh, you, you take the physical thing, and you examine the physical thing, that in this case, let's say a belt, Right? You examine the physical thing, and then, you, and then from the physical thing, you, you import meaning into the spiritual side of things. That's what I mean by pushing it too far. So example, right? Uh, you have a belt. Belts are made of leather. You get leather by killing things. Therefore, animal sacrifice is how you put on the belt of truth. Do you guys see how I made the, a leap there? I, I, I'm sort of trying to smuggle in something from the physical and make a point that's spiritual. That is pushing analogies from the scripture too far. Instead, what we need to do, uh, and Hebrews 10 tells us that that's a really bad uh, push that I just did, um, which you guys all saw, which is good. Um, but they can be a little bit more subtle sometimes, and I chose a really bad example so that you would see that, yes, the principle that I'm trying to say is true, um, because what we want to do is we want to take the Word of God to explain the Word of God. We don't want to take things in this physical world that we can, you know, that we know, uh, and then try to smuggle in spiritualness with those things. We want, we want to let the Word of God explain to us what the Word of God means, and so that's going to be the method um, that, that I'm going to try to employ for us today. And if we look at the, th- this method, how, how does, how is, um, you know, the, the word of God talk about the armor of God? Well, th- there's actually other places. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 um, says this. It says, uh, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. I thought it was a breastplate of righteousness, Paul. Uh, why are you changing things up here? And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Or, or in 2 Corinthians 6, 7, it says, By truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness. I thought the weapon was the sword of the Spirit. For the right hand, for left. And so what, what, I, what I think we need to, to get and understand here is that Paul doesn't seem too concerned about righteousness being this express property of this thing that you put on your chest called a, a, a breastplate. Um, we need to recognize that the analogy does convey meaning. It does convey meaning, but the meaning isn't necessarily tied up with like the thing that you put on your chest, right? Paul is outlining that there are these, these really important things 
that, that we, we should know and we should understand, but we shouldn't push them too far, or go beyond what the scripture is saying, or try to smuggle uh, things in from the physical world into the spiritual world. So I will try not to be pushing analogies too hard here, and I will be seek to drawing, drawing out their meanings from the word of God. Um, hold me accountable to that, like, uh, hold me accountable to that. Think about what I'm saying and make sure that it is good and accurate and true. Uh, the other thing, the other sort of pre-point here is how to understand the armor, is that the armor, the point of this is to communicate what it means to be an effective fighter. Um, you have to have all the pieces of the armor to like be protected in all the places. And so uh, we need all of these pieces. Um, they help us stand firm in the day of evil. And, and so uh, we will be examining these because we want to know how to effectively fight. We want to effectively fight. We want to be equipped to do the work that God has called us to do. So, so let's get into the armor proper here. Um, how, do, how do these pieces that we're going to examine, how do they make us effective fighters? How do they help us perpetrate violence, violence against the kingdom of darkness? How do they keep us safe in the process of that violence that we are committing? So the first piece of armor that, that we come across is this thing that's called the belt of truth. Um, verse uh, 13, or 14, excuse me, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Um, what is truth? You know, if you're a pilot, what is truth? Uh, he says that to Jesus. Um, and so truth is simply the way things are. It is reality, right? It is things as they actually are. Um, if I make a true statement, what I said becomes this accurate representation of things. Like, you, you understand that I describe something real. And so truth actually, though, is an agent of freedom. Did you guys know that? Agent of freedom? Truth sets you free, uh, John 8, 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So truth, once it is known, makes one free. And, and what better way to do violence against the kingdom of darkness than to set the captives free? And so this belt of truth represents that to us. Romans 6, uh, 16 through 20 says that people are enslaved to this kingdom of darkness, to sin. And so we need to make the truth known because we were once enslaved to sin, but we have encountered the truth. We have, we have embraced the truth. We have seen the truth, and the truth has set us free. And so what better way to set captives free and to, to, to guard against our own enslavement than by wearing truth like a belt? And, and how do you make truth known? How, how do you speak truth to the world? Well, it, truth is lived. Truth is spoken. When, when, you, when you think about reality, the way things are, you, you pattern your life as though it's true. Um, my kids sometimes, um, they think that, the truth that they sometimes have is that I'm not in control of the home, right? And when I say, hey, clean your room, they are under this suspicion that that's not the way things are, and they don't need to go do that. Um, 
but it is my job to help them understand that that, that is not true, right? That is not reality. That is not the way things are. And so I have to speak it to them, and they have to go and live it, right? Um, and we have many discussions about this at my home. Um, but John, Third John, Third John, uh, John 3, because there's no chapters in Third John, um, says this. It says, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. What are you saying there? They testified that your life was patterned after the right way. They lived in accordance with reality. And then it continues as indeed you are walking in the truth. So truth can be lived. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So the belt of truth, right, uh, is effective for us as we live lives aligned to the truth. Live lives aligned to the truth. And, and when you think about truthful living, you should think about a person. And the person you should think about, his name is Jesus. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. In fact, the truth in John 8, the, the truth that, that we need to know and the truth that sets us free is the truth that's embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. And truth is also the word of God. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so even before us today, even, even before us, we have a, a truth that is lived that has been uh, put out in front of us, that gets declared to us hopefully every Sunday and hopefully every day as we live our lives that Jesus is the truth. And then hopefully we have the, the, this truth that's proclaimed to us as we read the scriptures and that, that, we, that we bring into our, our mouths like the, uh, the Old Testament prophets talked about how the scrolls, because the Bible is written in scrolls, that, that they would eat it and it would be like honey in their mouths. And that, that was a, a metaphor uh, for, for consuming it and, and pouring their lives into it and, and meditating and ruminating on it. Um, meditation uh, draws out this idea, you know, a, a, a cow has multiple stomachs. And uh, they eat a little bit, and then it goes into their stomach, and then they bring it back out again, and they eat it again. And then it goes back in, and then they bring it back out again and eat it again. And that's really gross. Um, but it's a really important picture for us to understand that uh, that is exactly how we get fed spiritually. That is exactly how we let the word of God go deep into our core of who we are because we, we consume it, we eat it. It's like honey to our lips. And then it comes into us, but then we need it again. And so we bring it back up and we eat it again. And then we eat it again, and then we eat it again, over and over and over, because the, the word sanctifies us. The word in Jesus and the word of the scriptures, it sanctifies us. And we begin to live and pattern our lives after what that is. And our pattern of living and speaking, 
that we should employ is what is represented to us in the word of God. You access that image of Jesus through the scriptures. The scriptures teach you about who Jesus is. And what else is the word of God? What else is Jesus? Jesus in John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the truth then is also light. The truth then is also light. Again in John. John's a great gospel. Read the gospel of John over and over and over and over again. John three nineteen, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true, whoever does what is true, comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. It is no coincidence that the Bible refers to the kingdom of Satan as darkness. It's one of darkness. And do you know what scatters darkness? Light. Light scatters darkness. Imagine, I don't know if anyone has been in like a basement with no windows, middle of the night, no lights on in the rest of the house. You can't see anything in that room. You can't see anything, right? It is pitch black. It's blacker than black. Um, it is darkness. And, and you, you may not be in that room very often, and so like you walk into it, and you're like, oh, where's the light switch? And then you start to feel like panic set in because maybe something's going to jump out at you. and sca- No, that probably won't happen. But um, you think it because it's scary to be in the dark, and you're like, where's the light? And then you hit the switch. And what happens to that darkness instantaneously? Where'd it go? right? Where did it go? The light scatters the darkness. It scatters it. Now that light, when it comes on, it may reveal some stuff in that room, right? Like maybe your furnace, but maybe also all that mess that you've been hiding for so long in the dark. And, 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 that darkness, that, that mess, that room that you're seeing, it may not be your basement. It may be sort of an internal world. Or it may represent the place that you work. Or it could be a relationship that you have. And you flipped on the light in that room, and what do you see, right? What has been smuggled in when it's been dark? What sickness is there? What disease is there? What infirmity is there in that room that has been in darkness for so long? Turning on the light is just the first step to cleaning up the room. Even though you've turned on the light, there's still a great deal of work to be done. There's a great pattern of living to apply to that room to clean away the mess, to drive out the darkness, and to heal the sickness that is there. And so the truth becomes this crucial part of our armor, of our weaponry, of our battle against darkness because the light scatters the darkness, right? The truth flips on the switch and helps us see things as they truly are. 
Maybe our life isn't that good, right? Or maybe that relationship has some things that need to be worked on. Or maybe our workplace is sick. And if we run from that, if we hide from that, if we don't face the sickness, nothing will change. And so the truth is an important part of our armor because it gets us aligned on how things really are. It takes our ugliness and sickness and our disease, and it forces us to reckon with it. It forces us to see things as they are. Which takes us to the next piece of our armor, that breastplate of righteousness. Now, uh, there's two ways to examine righteousness. Uh, the first is uh, as deeds that we have done that exhibit the truth. Right? We talked about truth being as a, a way of living life. And so, in a very real way, uh, way the deeds, the, the breastplate of righteousness is representing good things, good works. Uh, Ephesians 4.24 says, Put on the new self, created in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, the, the breastplate of righteousness are the right things that we've done uh, in truth, by faith, for the glory of God. They are the good deeds which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's Ephesians 2.10. And and these, uh, this breastplate of righteousness, it's effective, it's important because it identifies you as a liberator. It identifies you as somebody who is oppressed, can come to you, they can see your good works from afar, they see them from afar, and then they come to you because you have good news to share. Because you have something different about you. Because you do what's right. They glorify our Father in heaven when they see us as liberators. When when the world sees us as people who can be trusted with their pain. When the world sees us as people who will put right wrongs. Because we don't stand for wrong in our own life. When they see that in us, God is glorified. God is honored. God is king. But the the, the second meaning, and and, um, I I think this is the one that uh, I I lean to more than than the other, actually, is that uh, this is view that the righteousness of Christ, which is a tribute to us on our own behalf, as though we had never had a single dark room ever, with no messes, that that righteousness that has been given to us is the righteousness that we're wearing on that breast, uh, breastplate. How does the perfect obedience, the perfect righteousness of Christ getting passed on to you make you an effective warrior, make you an effective combatant uh, in, this, in this battle? Uh, I go to Romans 8, uh, verse 31. And it says, what shall we say to these things? That, that God has given you his righteousness. That, that he has made you a member of his kingdom. That, that though you were his enemy, he changed all that through his son and brought you into his family and made you his own. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He's talking about war there. He's talking about battle there. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, for it is written. So this is true. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors. 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 People who take war and commit violence against darkness and win. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers. We looked at this last week. Rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What unassailable armor. What sure foundation for warfare. What can separate you from your only hope? Nothing is what the scriptures say. Nothing can separate you from that. And so as you don that righteousness, as, as you put on that armor, you should feel emboldened, emboldened to fight and fight and fight and fight. There is nothing that can stop you. No battle will break you. No fight will finish you. No struggle will strangle the life out of you because you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. You may not feel that way, and I know that. I know that. But that is the truth. That is the reality. That is the, the thing that we just talked about. It, it, is, it is the way things are. And so we can say, like in Henry V, once more unto the breach, dear friends, once more. We may, we may not believe it today, but we can rise again and again and again and again and again, and nothing can hold us down. We are effective with this righteousness because this breastplate gives us hope and confidence to keep going, to keep going, to keep going. When you think you failed too much, you haven't. Keep going. Which lands us right on our feet. The shoes for our feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. There is something amazing about being the recipient of peace. Being the recipient of grace. Being the recipient of forgiveness that makes you want to share it with so many other people. That makes you just want to, hey, I have this. I have this. You got to have it too. You got to have it too. You got to have it too. 
And so church, as you go about your life being a peacemaker, bringing reconciliation where there is hostility, where you, where you bring comfort to those who are afflicted or in need, or, or as you extend forgiveness as God and Christ forgave you, that's Ephesians 4, 32. As you do those things, you are being agents of light. Your forgiveness sheds the light of Christ abroad for all to see. Your compassion sheds the light of Christ across the globe for all to see. The readiness that the gospel of peace brings to us, that readiness to give what we have received, makes us effective because it gets us back into the fight. It gets us to the situations where the light can shine and the truth can make headway in the territory of the enemy. And so this this is how we press that attack, that that attack that our, our readiness to give what we've been given How do we press forward with that? How do do we lean into the flaming darts of the enemy as we advance on his kingdom and he shoots at us and he tries to take us out? How How do we move forward in the face of resistance? We take up the shield of faith. That's that's our our next piece of armor here. Ephesians 6.16 calls the attacks as we're advancing, right? As we're advancing with those, those ready feet, flaming darts, and, and I don't know, I don't even want to get hit with a regular dart, right? Let alone a flaming one. Um, catch my clothes on fire. I've seen movies. It's not nice. Um, I don't want that. And so our shield of faith extinguishes those darts. So let's consider faith here for a second. Um, the first, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith has this component to it that believes and trusts and latches on to a truth outside of its range of vision. I can't see it. I can't see it. But it's there. I know it's there. Um, I know it's there. And so the second thing that faith does is faith creates action based upon that belief. Um, uh, James, too, says, so also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. That's uh, James 2.17. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So faith sees what cannot naturally be seen and acts in accordance with that sight. Uh, so th- this is um, kind of a true principle. Um, if I say, hey, I have a million dollars if you, you know, give me high five, but my hand is like behind this curtain, and all you got to do is like just go through, right? And they're like, no, that's not, that's not the way it is, right? They don't believe me, and they don't have faith because they don't, that's a really dumb example, I'm sorry. Um, uh, but but here, here's the real example, right? You are in the midst of temptation, in the midst of it. You want to sin so bad right now, um, you, it could feel subtle, like, you know, just this nagging in the back of your head, like, oh, I want to do this. Or it could feel like you're hanging on a cliff, and all that's holding you there is just your fingernails. And you feel the weight of your own body just dragging you down. It's like, I have to do this. And sin is promising to deliver you. 
Sin is promising that if you do this thing, you'll feel okay for a second. If you do this thing, it won't feel so bad. If, if, you, if you lash out in anger, you'll get your control back. And this person who's hurting you will stop, right? All, there's all these promises that, that sin offers to us. And we can, we can feel the rage rising up within us. Or, or the desire to do the thing that we think will give us satisfaction. And it, and it, it can push us and drive us. And, and, and we want to jump over the ledge because it seems so good. So how does, how does faith act as your shield in that moment? How, how does faith help you pull back up the cliff? How does faith buoy you from gravity? Faith sees the truth. And the truth is, is sin is actually going to kill you. And the promise that it's offering you is a sham. Uh, faith says that, hey, you believe that God is far from you. But that's not the case. God is so near to you. He is a very present help in time of trouble. Uh, uh, the lie could say that you are, you are totally and utterly alone and messed up. And the only way you can feel any amount of good is by doing this thing. And what faith says is you are never alone. And you are more whole than you could ever hope or dream to be in Christ. And so that's what faith calls you to believe. But then faith also calls you to act upon that belief. Your way of escape may be to call a friend and talk to them about how you feel. Your, your way of escape may be to physically remove yourself from the situation you're in. Maybe that, that person is just too infuriating. And you just need to leave the room for a hot second. The way of escape may be to offer peace to somebody, to, to, to bring comfort to them, to, to extend forgiveness when they don't even deserve it. Maybe that is your act of faith. And so we're, we got we to gotta speed up here. Um, the last, uh, not the last thing, there's more. Um, the next piece of armor is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Uh, several different ways you can look at the helmet of salvation. Um, but I want to draw out the, a future-looking one, a future-looking uh, way that the helmet of salvation serves as our armor. Um, in a very real sense, your salvation is still waiting to be revealed. It's still waiting to show up. It's still, it's still waiting. It's out there in the future. The day is coming. I'm looking for it. And and it's going to be revealed. That's what 1 Peter 1.5 says, um, that salvation is waiting to be revealed. He said, you, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith, you're being guarded through faith, right? That shield of faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time when Jesus, the, I'm adding now, when Jesus comes again, right? And the, he shows up in the clouds, the trumpets sound, and the sky splits like a scroll, and the whole host of, of God's people show up with him, um, and we come, and, and, we, and we rule forever and ever and ever and praise God. That's when our salvation will ultimately be revealed. And, and there's a, this connection between faith and salvation. Faith is guarding us against schemes, against darts, for salvation, for that thing that's about to be revealed. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.8 calls this the helmet of the hope 
of salvation. And so there's this forward-looking element. And so the question becomes, do you long for that day when Jesus will appear in the clouds? Do you long for the day when you will see your king arrive and be honored and glorified by the whole world as he ought? As a king, as the God of the universe. Do you long to meet him there? This longing is the hope for salvation. It's said by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 to produce good courage. And good courage is one of those things that we need to be good soldiers. We need to be brave. brave but bravery, right, is not the absence of fear, right? It is doing the right thing in spite of our fear. And so 2 Corinthians 5, 6 says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and be at home with the Lord, right? He's longing, he's longing for his Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so the helmet of salvation is effective. It's effective for us because it gets us thinking about being in the presence of God. Who is that being that we will live with for all of eternity? Is he just? Is he holy? Is he pure? Is he beautiful? Is he, is he lovely? Is he all those things? And so we're thinking about those things, and that gives us courage we need for the fight and emboldens us to do good for the glory of his name. We want to do good because that is our God. And so then finally, finally take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Um, Now, uh, it is so important, I I didn't draw this out, but I had this thought, is that it's so important that we see uh, the connection to prayer here. It is so important, and that's all I'm going to be able to say about it. Prayer is the lifeblood of your battle. As you, as you go about your day, as you go about your, your work, as you go about mothering and fathering, as you go about uh, being a member of this, this city and of this nation and of this church, prayer is the primary means by which you engage in warfare constantly. Constantly. So finally, uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, is the last piece of armor we're going to consider. And in this single piece of armor, the sword, I, I, I see all the themes of what we've just talked about. Every last one of them is in that sword. And th- that sword, we, we talked a little bit last week, you know, Jesus said, if I cast out uh, demons, um, then the finger of God uh, by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come into your midst, right? The finger of God. And it's this idea, right? The finger of God wrote on the stone tablets. Uh, the finger of God writes in uh, exile on the wall. And then the, um, the king loses his mind and dies. Um, so like the finger of God is, is God's intrusion into our world to accomplish his, his purposes. Um, it's, it's God's intrusion uh, and ultimately, that, that the biggest example of that intrusion is the incarnation of Jesus Christ becoming a man and, and, and being the literal fingers of God, uh, walking around this earth and doing great uh, violence to the kingdom of Satan. So, um, 
So we're going to see all these themes. We're going to see themes of truth and righteousness and readiness uh, and, the, and faith and salvation uh, for the word of God is truth. That's uh, John 17, 17. But also the word of God is a lamp unto my feet, right? And a light to my path. That's Psalm 119, 105. Psalm 119, 105. And so the word then, the, the scriptures, the truth of God uh, given to us in, uh, in these, these, these words, right, that have been handed down through, through century and century, faithfully uh, handed down to us, those word, that word from the Lord um, becomes this, this weaponized, uh, this weaponized instrument of violence against darkness, um, it becomes uh, the means by which we are able to, to speak the word, that, that's con- the truth that's contained in the scriptures into somebody's life, and something happens. It's not because you're smart, right? It's not because any of us are smart, or any of us are wise, or any of us are good, or any of us are, are, are beautiful or lovely, or any of that stuff. What gives us power, what gives us might, what, what, what makes us effective in our violence against the kingdom of darkness is the extent to which the content of our speech is the word of God. That's what makes us effective fighters. That's what shines the light. And in some cases, it's just like a little flashlight light, just a little, little beam that's shining in. And in other cases, you're flipping on the light in the whole room. But the word of God is what does that. The word of God is what, is what brought you to faith. The word of God is what makes you alive. <coughs> the word of God is also how the world hears about the righteousness of Christ offered to them at Christ's expense. The only way we can be righteous is to hear the word of the Lord regarding his son by whom he speaks to us in these last days. That's Hebrews 1.1. The word in our lips extends the invitation of righteousness to others. Uh, the word of the Lord offers peace. We go to the word to find peace. We go to the word to find comfort. We go to the word to learn about our forgiveness that we've received in the gospels, from the gospel. And, and then we take that same word, we take that same word and we say, here, take it too. This gift is for you too. This righteousness that has been given to me is for you too. And we offer it to others through the word. And, and the, this word, as we hear it, it produces in us faith, which unites us to Christ, which, which is what salvation is. Salvation is union with Christ. Romans 10, uh, 13 and following says this, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how will they believe in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? And how will they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so the sword of the spirit, the word of God is effective because it takes all the other elements of the armor of God, all the other things that, that prepare us and keep us safe and protect us from harm, and it makes it into this, this, this weapon that cuts through things. And it's like the finger of God, 
And it puts the kingdom of darkness to flight by offering to others Christ and all his benefits. That's what the word, the sword of the spirit does for you. And so today, going back to, to what it said in Romans, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called upon the name of the Lord to be saved? Have you called upon his name? I ask you to believe that Jesus was a true man. He was a true man who lived in history, who had a life, who was born from a woman, just like you and me. He lived in history, and he lived the way that the scriptures say. That is true about Jesus. It all speaks about him. It all speaks truth about him. And it all gives us things to believe about him. One of those things is is that he is the God-man, the Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He then offered himself as a sacrifice. He went on a cross to die a sacrificial death, a propitiating death for our sins on that cross. The Colossians says it's like Jesus' flesh was like the, every sin that we committed, it was all written on this, this ledger of debt. Everything that we committed was written on this ledger. And then in the crucifixion, that ledger was put on the cross and nailed there. And what you did with the debt when it was paid is you stuck a nail in it and you hammered it onto the door of the person that it was owed to. It's like, debt's paid. My debt is paid. And what Jesus did on that cross, in his flesh, he became sin for us. He paid the debt that we should have paid. And he offered himself for us, for you. You. And after he did that, he literally died. Someone stuck a a spear in his side and blood and water flows out. They didn't break his bones. None of that happened, but he died on that cross. But death could not contain him in a grave. Death could not keep his eternal righteousness and holiness and goodness buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And by the power of his glory, he broke out of the grave. And he appeared to hundreds of witnesses. And as he did that, he established his embassy, his church, here on this earth. And he has set up his ambassadors, which is everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord to be saved. You are his ambassador of that kingdom. And then he ascended to heaven where he sits enthroned as king of kings and lord of lords. Do you believe that today? Do you trust in that Jesus today? Now, uh, we're going to end our time here. Um, Band could come on up uh, by by examining for us all a symbol of what Jesus has done. So uh, here at the front, we'll have um, the elements here. We'll have uh, wine and juice uh, for the blood of the Lord, and then we'll have bread for the body of the Lord. Um, If you are a baptized believer in Jesus, we welcome you to the table today. Um, Come and get the elements. We're going to come and get them as we're singing a song. Um, and then, um, then we'll take them together. I'll lead us in a little time of devotion. Um, but let's go ahead and pray as we prepare our hearts uh, for that time. So God, we, we are grateful 
We are grateful that you extend promise, promises to us in so many ways. You, you show us your goodness in the elements that you've provided for us, in, in the bread and the, the wine. You offer them to us to nourish us and sustain us. You, you call us to faith. And we, we, um, we make a movement toward you uh, by believing and trusting that all that you have done for us, uh, you have done. And that all we need to do is receive your good gifts. And so, Father, we, we pray and we, we ask uh, that you would use this time to instru- uh, strengthen our faith, embolden us for the fight ahead, make us warriors, help us to see the, the violence that needs to be done to the kingdom of darkness, open our eyes to those places in our hearts and in our marriages and in our families and in our places of work and on our street and in our neighborhood and among our friends where your truth needs to shine where territory owned uh, by the kingdom of darkness needs to be taken back because Jesus bought it with his blood. And so as we come to the table, Lord, let our hearts uh, be prepared to worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.